The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Dr. Matthew Letterman, author of Forks Over Knives Family. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Letterman. Hey, thank you for having me. And can I call you Matthew? Yeah, I prefer that. <laughs> okay, good, great. Okay, Forks Over Knives Family, this is your new book. What, is, what, what does that mean, Forks Over Knives Family? What are we talking about? So it's a, a book aimed at reassuring parents um, that this is the type of diet you should be um, trying to encourage your family to eat. And it should start you know, before you're pregnant. You should follow this while you're pregnant. Um, as soon as your, your kids can eat food, this is the type of food to feed them. We got a lot of questions from parents when we were working with them. There's, there's a lot of books for adults out there, but they said, what about what about my kids? Can I feed them this? When can I start? And uh, this was aimed to address that. Okay, so your first book, as we talked about a little bit before we got on the show, was uh, Forks Over Knives Plan, the New York Times bestselling author, a New York Times bestselling book, and uh, you're a New York Times bestselling author. And so now this book is more really strictly focusing on family, like you say. What do you start eating when you're pregnant? What do you give to your kids? It's a whole family plan. So are we, we're talking about plant a plant-based diet, um, what is that, and why is it yeah, so good for you, and why should we be feeding this stuff to our family or this food to our family? Right. right. So, so it's plant-based, uh, you know, whole, whole foods, plant-based. Plant-based just means focusing your diet around fruits and vegetables, uh, starchy vegetables, whole grains, some you know, legumes, some nuts and seeds, things like that. And you either eat those foods, combinations of those foods, or use those foods as the ingredients to make the same um, familiar dishes everybody loves, like tacos and stir-fry and burgers and pizza and pancakes. And we have all those recipes in the book. So it's, it's not just salads and steamed broccoli. It's actually really fun, familiar, delicious dishes with a, a slightly different, healthier ingredient set. And okay, you're the using reason, the word healthier. Sorry, you say healthier. Uh, now, do we have to say, okay, what's the proof that this is healthier? Like, I'm somebody who I eat really well, but I also eat some meats, not very often, mm-hmm. but I do eat meat. I should not be in any meat. Why? I mean, what are the statistics in terms of why we should be eating this plant-based diet? Yeah, and I have the book in front of me, and it's, I mean, it looks great. The meals look easy to prepare and delicious and all of those kinds of things, but why should we be doing this? Yeah, so the... The main idea is that studies, studies show that eating a predominantly plant-based diet, whole foods plant-based, right? I'm, I'm not talking about vegan or junk food vegan type of diets where, you know, you could eat 
um, soda and, and and corn chips and and call that a a vegan diet. What I'm I'm talking about adding in those foods that I just discussed: fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes. And if you if you base your diet around that, studies show that um, you can reverse disease. You f- and and you know people feel better, more energy, and you actually can live longer. So that's you know even the the societies that you know have the you know the longest lived populations. They ate predominantly plant-based. Now, you, you know, and if you have animal products, you use them as a, a condiment or a flavoring, and you don't have to do that every meal. So, okay, so it's better for us, you're saying, and I think there are a lot of statistics, at least, uh, you know, I went online looking up some of these t- statistics, and I think one of the things they said, and I'd like you to comment on this, that most or many of the degenerative diseases that we suffer from now are based on, the fa- on our diet, on our poor diets. For instance, you know, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, all of those uh, could be, I don't know, about eradicated, but really reduced if we ate this kind of diet. Is that true? Yeah, so what's really exciting is that um, a lot of these diseases are a result of the food that we eat three or more times a day. So things like type 2 diabetes can reverse, heart disease can reverse, autoimmune diseases can improve or reverse, um, even... Um, uh, diseases like certain cancers can slow down. Some have, some have been reversed. I mean, the, the idea is that you um, have been hitting yourself in the hand with a hammer three times a day, and then you're looking for the pill and the procedure and the cream to make your hand feel better. Nothing really works well. And then your doctor finally says, why don't you stop hitting yourself in the hand with a hammer? Your hand starts feeling better immediately, and of course it does, and people wouldn't expect anything else. And, and that's what we've been doing with the Western diet is hitting ourselves with that three times a day. Because apparently if you look at other cultures like uh, in Asia, for instance, and uh, cultures where they I, ate primarily plant-based food as opposed to all the meats and stuff that we eat, they had very little of these kinds of degenerative diseases. Uh, there was another statistic that came up, too, that said that, you know, this generation is going to live not as long as the last generation. What, I'm not sure exactly which generations they were comparing because of the way we <clears throat> eat and we're obese and, uh, you know, and we suffer from all these diseases. And can we reverse, reverse that trend as well if we do the, the plant-based diet? Yeah, so that's the idea is that when people start eating foods, our, our body was designed to, to be fueled with, the diseases that come are associated with these other, the, the processed foods and the refined foods and the uh, very meat-centric diets, um, those, those all of a sudden improve. And we wouldn't, like I said, we wouldn't expect anything less. So what do we do, though? You're talking about families and kids, and I raised three boys, and I think they pretty well, maybe not quite as well as, you know, as you describe in the book, the way we should eat, but um, how do you get kids to eat that way? I understand you're starting, this is a family, you know, you want to get the whole family to eat with forks, not knives, the stuff that you have to cut, we don't need to be eating, right? So you start with, a, let's say, a pregnant woman. I mean, that's, you're starting from the very beginning. What should she be eating? And how should she start on this diet if she's never done that before? I mean, do you, you become pregnant and then immediately you switch over from your, you know, lousy diet that was <laughs> going to make you and your baby sick to something like this? How do you do that? Yeah, so 
the idea is um, to eat is add in as many of these healthier foods as possible. So if you're it doesn't matter. I wouldn't focus on what you you shouldn't eat as much as what you should be eating, and what and and pick the dishes that you like. And when you're pregnant, do the same thing. You're gonna have cravings for different foods. Pick the dishes you like and learn how to substitute healthier ingredients um, to make those dishes. That's what this that's what this book does, and that's that's really what I recommend to people. I you know, and I will even when we start working with patients. I'll, you know, because a lot of people say, well, I have to be 100%, you know, plant-based or vegan if I'm, and I say, forget about the labels right now. And, you know, if there's certain meals or certain things that you are, are deal breakers for you, and basically they use that as an excuse not to do the program at all, I say, put those down on a piece of paper. We write those down, and then whatever's left, I say, that's what I can play with now. So you put down how many times you want to go out to eat. They say two times a week. I, I give them three. That means I still have four four nights where I can do what I want with. And then I say, you know, how many other meals? You know, what meals don't you want? Oh, oh I will. they'll say, I do not want to give up, you know, pizza once. I say, okay, fine, have your pizza. But then I have all the other meals, you know, 16, 17, bunch of breakfast, lunches. We can play with those, and I can make those whatever I want. And now they're not, now they're excited because they're, you're not taking what's th- you know you're not threatening them to take away everything that in their mind is really important, and you get to they get to feel better and enjoy these these changes. And then what happens? It's really funny. Is all of a sudden they say, "Oh, well, that actually isn't that important. I'm feeling so good. This actually tastes much better than I thought." And they start to make changes other places. So. So that's the goal is is not to make this happen or coerce them to change everything right away, but to get them excited and want to make these changes. Well, and to feel good about it. Well, you just said stuff that they they think you want to get them away from the things that they uh, I forgot what the words you use, but that they want to that they want to eat. Uh, but you talk about in the book the dopamine pleasure cycle. What's that? Because we tend to want to eat things that make us feel good, and apparently, I mean the two. The primary things that make us feel the best are food and sex, or sex and food, depending on who you mm-hmm. are. So let's say, but we're talking about food. So, like we say, we want to, what makes what is that? Because that's the dopamine pleasure cycle has to do with that. We seek out foods that really make us feel good. How does this diet fit into that? Right. So what was what's interesting about that is that's that's our natural, our body's way of stimulating. Us and, and giving us the pleasure sensation in you know response to eating, so it wants to encourage that we seek out food, and this is you know evolutionarily beneficial, right? Because we'd have to risk risk our lives to go out looking for food, and you need some type of reward. If there wasn't, you would say, "Hey, I'm not going to risk my life there." So, so we have that natural dopamine um, release. To, to stimulate us and give us pleasure. Now, the, respond, the way that works is the more calorie-dense the food is, the more calories per pound in a, in a given amount of food, um, the more stimulation we get, the more dopamine uh, release, the more pleasure we, we feel in response. And I think that that's, that's a key piece of information because way back when you were choosing between the, the lettuce and the potato, and your lettuce is 70 calories per pound. The potato is four or 500 calories per pound. And it said, okay, if you eat the potato, you're going to get more stimulation, more dopamine, more pleasure sensation. So your body went for the potato, and that was great because you got four or five times more calories for that single uh, trip where you were risking your life. Versus if you went for the lettuce and you got the same amount of pleasure, you would go after the, or more pleasure, you would go after the lettuce and you're risking your life more and more times to get the same amount of calories. 
So basically, it's it's adapted to to stimulate us and give us pleasure in response to uh, picking in a more calorie dense food. The problem is now we have refined foods, we have processed foods that you're not you're not picking between seventy and four hundred calories per pound. You're now you know, forced to choose between the four hundred calorie per pound baked potato and the you know, 23, 2400 calories per pound, you know, chocolate cookie and the 2000 calorie per pound, you know, fried corn chips. And that's where you start to get into trouble because your body now gets significantly more pleasure, uh, almost like a drug. And, and, and your body chooses that and thinks it feels better when it eats that food. And it actually gets more dopamine response, just like you would from taking drugs. But it doesn't mean you actually feel better. You're actually getting sicker and unhealthier, you know, less healthy over the time. Also, that, there's a piece to sense? that. It's also easier to eat that, and you're certainly not risking your life going to the grocery store to buy it. But once <laughs> you get it and you're sitting on your couch stuffing your safe with, you know, with a bag of potato chips, it's easier to eat. Maybe it's easier to eat. You know, you've got the list of the plant, whole food, plant, you know, the plant-based diet, the whole right. grains, the legumes, the tubers, the vegetables, fruits, and all those, they're a little bit more difficult to eat than that bag of potato chips, right? Or, you know, the Doritos or whatever oh. you're stuffing your face with. Yeah, and it depends what you mean by difficult, but I agree. All the forces are working against us, right? So our, our natural, what we've evolved with, our natural internal systems are telling us to eat the chips. The big industry is, you know, has commercials, and, and it's easier to get, and it's sometimes even um, cheaper depending on what you're buying. You know, so, so everything is working against us, and that's where the, thank God, as humans, we have the brain, brain power and ability to say, hey, there's a system in our body that's malfunctioning because, and it's actually not even malfunctioning. The food that we're putting in front of it is, it just has not used to. It doesn't register properly. And we know, okay, let's not fall into that pleasure trap. Let's be careful about that. And I assume if you're starting with the family and you start from the very beginning, literally, like you do in your book, and this book is about your family, right? This is about you and your wife, and she's the co-author of the book, and and your kids and how you've done it and been able to accomplish it, because it it has your, the the stories uh, include you and your own family. That is correct. We thought that would be helpful. We learned a lot. That's where there's a lot of practical advice in here, and that's what we learned, what works, what doesn't, what makes the transition easier, and all those tips and tricks are are very helpful, we've found. Patients really like hearing about it, so we say, let's put this in a book. Well, let's talk about that, because I like to hear your story, like you say, with your wife and her pregnancy and you know what were some of the kind of pitfalls to trying to stick to this kind of a diet or the or the pluses or how was it for you as the as the spouse yes so um interesting you know interestingly enough my wife had different um uh cravings for example we used to love uh frozen bananas and nut butters for dessert when she was pregnant she couldn't touch bananas you know so so it was, you know, sort of playing around with that. But there's always other options to have. And she, but she was able to still stick with a, a, a whole food, plant-based diet, and then just had to play around based on how she was feeling and what her cravings were, and uh, and did pretty well. You know, I mean, she would have a whole lemon every morning. I, I don't know how she did it, but that helped her, and she felt much better. Um, she would not do that anymore. But the idea is to sort of embrace the pregnancy and what's going on, but just keep certain boundaries as far as the, the type of foods. You're not going to eat processed food-like substances. You're going to eat whole plant foods as much as possible. 
How other physicians fit into it? Both of you are physicians. You're sophisticated, I mean, in a positive way in terms of information, obviously, and education. What about, like, just, you know, us, the average person, we don't have as much information as you do. I think one of the things you say in the book is you have to find a, a physician or an obstetrician or who's ever delivering your baby who's on your team who feels the same way about it as you do. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to do this or follow this kind of a diet. Right, exactly. And the idea is that you don't need to find a doctor that's an expert that's going to educate you on all of this stuff. You could, there's enough resources out there, thanks to the Internet and books like these, that you can follow. You just need a doctor that's not going to tell you to not do this. Now, there might be an extenuating circumstance, but in general, um, in general, these are, these are healthy um, disease-preventing foods. And that's what, that's what people should be following. And if their doctor's telling them that they need to eat, you know, all of this meat because they need to get protein and iron or they need to um, uh, avoid X, Y, Z because they, they think that uh, it's harmful, but they, they don't really know. I mean, that's, that's what we found is that doctors, and all doctors will admit this, they were not taught nutrition in medical school or it was you know, an hour, two at, you know, I mean, it's very little education. So for them to be giving nutrition advice or for patients to expect their doctors to be experts in that is unreasonable. Yeah, although they, we do, I mean, even if it's unreasonable, I think that happens most of, exactly. of the time. Yeah, it is unreasonable. Exactly. And, and I know you, what, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, that's why doctors need to, and doctors don't like to do this, to, to tell you what they don't know. Um, but they need to say, hey, you know what, I'm not a nutrition expert, but I'll read this book or I'll look into these resources or I'll look at the studies that are cited throughout, you know, these books and articles. You know, it's all backed by the science, and that's what, you know, doctors need to do, and some doctors do that, and that's what's exciting. More and more are trying to and more and more are excited by this, and that's what, that would, that's what needs to keep happening. But patients need to be aware that many doctors do not, and they should look for the ones that do. And I think there are a lot of doctors. I've said this on the show. I mean, I have, I'm thinking of my own doctor. I hope they're not listening, but I, and I don't have that many because I am healthy. But they, yes, they need to be informed, but then they also have to set an example. And I would say at least half the doctors that I see don't look very healthy themselves. They're, you know, the average person is 25 pounds overweight, and I would say most of my physicians are at least 25 pounds overweight, especially the middle-aged ones, maybe not so much the younger ones. And I think that's a problem. You do have to set an yeah. example for your patients. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, if your doctor was outside smoking, what would you, what would you think? Yeah. You know, you probably, you know, even if they were really smart, you probably wouldn't be, seeing them uh, to get your health advice. And I think, yeah. that, I think that that's important. And they don't, like I said, one of the issues is that doctors think, oh, patients can't do this, I'll never do it. But it's the way they're thinking about it, that's the problem. You know, everybody can find meals where they can eat more whole plant foods. Everybody can try dishes where they use more whole plant food ingredients. Everybody can do this. The problem is when they think of is all or nothing. That's when you get yourself into trouble. Exactly. I think that's what's good about your book because the second half of the book is all about these recipes that are fairly simple. I mean, they're easy to do. They look, you know, they, they, they're tasty. And when you get used to eating that way, when you, if you regress and go back, 
to eating all the other, the junk and maybe even the meats and stuff, you don't feel good. Your body, you, you just simply don't feel good if you can get yourself on this kind of a diet for a, an extended period of time. I, I, I agree with you. It's great. Okay, so now we, the pregnancy, but then we go, a baby is born. Now what? Breastfeeding, I think, is the best thing for the, at least usually under normal circumstances, first four to six months, let's say. Then you start introducing solid food. So with this diet, what do you do, family diet, what do we do with the newborn or with the, uh, the you know, yeah, with the newborn in terms of getting them into solid foods? What do we start with according to this diet? Right. So um, breastfeeding is by far you know, the healthiest food uh, you can give a, a newborn baby. And every every effort should be made to encourage and support breastfeeding. Once you're ready to um, once you're ready to introduce some solid foods, um, we give examples of those. We we tried uh, pureed sweet potato, and uh, our kids love that. There's different fruits. I mean, you 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 know, there's there's the starches and the fruits and some some uh, vegetables. You can blend all that up. And you can make uh, delicious dishes. So it's it's not that you're going to sit you know sit down an eight month old and give them the veggie burger, but you're going to use these you know these plant whole plant foods as the as the the food that you introduce. And I think a lot of people do that even on the Western diet. It's only later when they start switching them over to the the Twinkies and and the junk foods. I mean, you're not no one even on the Western diet starts their kid off with a soda you know, in a Twinkie or blends up a Twinkie in a blender and gives it to the kid. So, so I think we're all on the same page initially, and we sort of know these are the healthy foods, and then we sort of get derailed because that's what our, our parents did for us, and that's what our friends are eating, and that's what's on TV, and, and that's where we get into trouble. Yeah, so that's the difficult part. So you personally, your family, what did you do? Like with your kids, okay, they started off when you have control over what they eat. Obviously, when they're a newborn, you have control over it, and so they start to eat in other people's houses or other families' houses, then what happens? I mean, you've already started them off on the right track, I'm assuming, but then all this other kind of negative way of eating uh, and all the stuff, even at school or preschool or kindergarten, they give these kids less and less, but they give them junk for snack foods. So what do you do? What do you do with your own? What did you do with your kids? Well, we did a couple of things. One, we educated we educated them. I mean, at a very young age, they understand and they, they can understand if you talk to them, hey, these are foods that make us healthy, these are foods that are really good for us, and, and these are the foods that we want to eat as much as possible, guys. And then, you know, we're talking to the teachers, and we'll say, hey, you know, that's, and we went over the snacks, and, and we said, hey, we packed snacks for them to take, and we tried to, and we actually worked with the school, and the school has actually made healthier changes, healthier snack options, and is even uh, this year going to offer a plant-based option for kids that want that. So, so we're, you know, the schools are very open and interested. And when they go to friends' houses, a lot of them uh, are also interested. From you know, we, we're friends with the parents. And then, on, and then the the bottom line though is that the perfect is the enemy of the good. And if you're, and if they go to the birthday party and have some birthday cake, that that's happening on occasion. But the base of their diet is still the whole plant foods. And a lot of times when they're brought up or they've been eating this way for a while, they, they'll have a bite of the cake and they won't even like it. It tastes it doesn't taste very good to them. And if they do eat it, they have their piece and they you know they go back to eating this way. That's the problem is when you're eating birthday cake three times a day every day, they get into trouble. 
And the, and the other thing that I think is really important is when your kids are old enough, you don't want to force this on them. You don't want to take away their, their you know, need for autonomy. And I think it's helpful to come up to them and say, hey, I, I'm learning this information and about how the food can cause diseases and, and, and make us unhealthy and even die sooner. And what I, want, I really want to explore eating these healthier foods. And it looks like you can do it in a way that tastes great, too. You know, do you want to, can you watch this movie with us and we can talk about it? Here's the documentary. Let's, can we try making some of these recipes, pick some pictures that look good? And let's, let's try and do this together and, and learn this together. And, and that's what you want. That's the goal is to connect with them and, and uh, help them encourage, be encouraged to, to make these changes. Don't force it on them. So Especially eating has to be, order. it's literally a family affair and, and one yeah. to be taken seriously. Yeah, and they can watch the documentary, your documentary, Forks Over Knives. But also they have access to even more information that you can read your book, watch the documentary, and then go online and look at other things that validate or substantiate what you've been saying because they have access to a lot more information than kids did 20 years ago. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even um, large hospital systems are starting to support this and offer these type of foods and, and recommend these type of diets to their patients. I mean, it's really, it's really coming around and becoming mainstream now. This is not so alternative. Um, I have to ask you a question. What about, you mentioned snacking, but do you, it seems to me there is a lot more snacking. Is snacking necessary? I mean, when I went to school, we went to school, we didn't have to have a snack every five minutes, so we wasn't concerned about the quality <laughs> or what the snack was. You kind of, you went to school, you had lunch, you came home, and maybe you had a snack when you came home, but this whole snacking thing that you have, you can't go on, you know, you can't drive your kids around in the car without a snack. You can't do anything with, you're going to a sports event, you have to have a snack. Do we, maybe we should cut down on the snacks. Yeah, I think I want, most importantly, it's what you're using to, uh, as the snack foods. Um, one of the things is kids, our kids, for, for example, love playing. So they sit still just enough to not be ravenous anymore, but they don't have the patience to fill themselves up, so they tend to snack a little bit more. But the idea is that the snack foods are just as healthy as the, the uh, you know, dinner or breakfast or lunch so that they can choose what they want. Now, we still have a dinner time where even if you're not hungry, we're asking you to sit with us. But if they wanted to eat an hour before dinner, we don't have a rule where you can't eat because you're going to, quote, unquote, ruin your dinner like I did growing up because the food they eat an hour before dinner is just as healthy as their dinner. So it's more, you know, let them decide when they're hungry and how much they want to eat and when to stop eating. And then, and then you just make sure what, what they choose whenever they are hungry is really health-promoting. And we've been talking kind of generally, but in terms of your own family, maybe just in terms of some of the patients that you have, what's the most difficult situation or scenario you have had to kind of overcome either with your own kids so that they will stick to this diet and or your patients? Well, it hasn't been hard for our children in the sense that they were brought, they don't know anything else. We don't buy food in the house that's not health you know, promoting. We don't make dishes that... Um, you know, our, it's not like we're making you know regular Western style burgers. We're making the burgers that are in these books. So they don't know any different. In fact, they don't even like the other foods if they ever try them uh, because they just want what's familiar. Just like your kids, I'm sure they were used to a certain dish, and if you made it a different way, they they say, "Oh, this doesn't taste right." So, so I think that from our perspective, it's it's been a little bit easier. Um, because we started when they were young, and that's why getting parents when they're and they and kids tend to eat what their parents eat. 
So if we can get the parents to change and do that when they're pregnant, and then uh, as soon as the baby's born, that's the food that they're around. That's what they know. Uh, much, it's much easier. But that's not to say that kids can't change. We see lots of families that are changing, and the kids are excited when they're empowered. And the, as far as the hardest situation from a patient exp- uh, perspective, uh, it's usually when one of the um, when the patient's willing or excited, but the significant other is uh, refuses to be open to it. And I think that there's um, what what we find is that that takes time to understand what their needs are, and we talk about this in the book as well. But everybody has certain needs for autonomy, and they want the food to be easy, and they want to um, have get enough pleasure and, and make sure that you know the food tastes good to them. And in their minds, one of those needs is being compromised, and they don't. And the strategy of eating this way um, is something that's threatening to them. Yeah. So we, what I do is I say, you know, will you be willing, are you willing to uh, just take some time to sort of go over what your needs are and explore um, how you're, uh, you know, what's the most effective way to meet those? And maybe there's a more effective way to meet all of those needs. I don't want to not meet any of them, but do it in a way that's less costly to you. And a lot of times, as long as I don't push it on them and we have those conversations and explore that, they, they become open over time. And that's where a social worker can step in, because <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> and now that's where we're going to end the show because we've we're reached the end of the half hour. But it, it has been great talking to you. It is a great book, by the way. You can buy it, forks and not over forks over knives. Family. You can buy it online, bookstores everywhere, and uh, uh, Dr. Letterman, a website that we can go to if we want more information about you and the book. Uh, ForksOverKnives.com is a great website with lots of great resources. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Great talking to you. Hey, thank you for having me. We're going to take a short break now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is psychiatrist, Dr. Dion Metzger, MD, author of The Modern Trophy Wife, How to Achieve Your Life Goals While Thriving at Home. Uh, according to Dr. Metzger, women today lead busy lives trying to balance successful careers with healthy lifestyles and supportive families. Dr. Metzger and her co-author have found that some women feel guilty for taking time to themselves. Their response, she says, ladies, take time out for yourself. It is not selfish. It is necessary. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Metzger. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Okay, so this is your new book, The Modern Trophy Wife. I have to say, yeah, and as I understand it, you're a modern trophy wife. Uh, You're an example of a modern trophy wife. So, you know, the connotation for trophy wife is a little bit different than the way you presented Mm -hmm. in your book. So let's talk, what is a modern trophy wife? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that was exactly what we we're going for because, you know, the traditional trophy wife was just known for her beauty and known for, like, kind of being an accessory to her husband, who's the successful one. But we were redefining that and saying the modern trophy wife is a woman who has goals of her own, who is balancing her successful career or trying to reach her personal goals, whether it be in fitness or anything that she's working on. She also has her own agenda. So that's really our definition of the new trophy wife, which we call the modern trophy wife. Given that definition, one of the things, and I think I sort of alluded to that in the introduction, is that women don't, it's difficult for women to do that, to be the modern trophy wife, to take time out for yourself. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. And I just have to say, because I didn't give all your accolades in the beginning, but I mean, you're not only a wife, you're a physician, a psychiatrist, a professor of medicine at two very prestigious medical schools. So, uh, you know, it's, I I guess, maybe we should start out with you. Um, I assume, (laughs) uh, how do you do it? Um, The thing is, I do take time out for myself. It's so interesting because this morning I was, I'm actually looking forward to taking my day off tomorrow where I really am going to do nothing. I talk about that in my chapter where I just really just use a day off to myself, not a day off to run errands or do something with the kids. It's literally, I'm going to wake up in the morning, probably stay in my pajamas and watch TV and relax. But I talk about how important it is to really take time out for ourselves because when you're just Struggling so much, um, you know, and I have two toddlers, one and three. So it's just like my house is always active. Um, quiet is not something that we get a lot of, but, you know, really just trying to find time to do things that I enjoy. And I talk about some of the, the things that, like, are on my priority list that I like to do. Like, I love going to the movies. And I try to have, like, a girls' night once or twice a month and really just doing stuff to kind of take my mind away from work and take my mind away from, um, you know, even stuff having to do with the kids or my husband just focusing on me. And the issue is a lot of women tend to feel so guilty when they do that. They think that, you know, everything should kind of focus around the other areas of their life, and usually they neglect to take care of themselves. 
So Why do you I, think that is? And so now I'm talking to the psychiatrist. Why do women oh, yeah. do that? Yeah. Why do, because it seems to me that men don't do that. They don't necessarily feel guilty if they're. No. No. Yeah, and I, I think take it's time kind out. of like, yeah, that's really interesting because like when men, they have like their poker nights or their go out playing golf, you never hear men, you know, you rarely hear men saying, oh, I feel so guilty for taking this time for myself. Uh, I just think it's a part of like being a wife and motherhood and just like the previous value that's been set in our, in our heads of, you know, we just have to be fully devoted to this. And, um, you know, I just, even like when people are talking about houses, they're always talking about the man cave. What about the woman's cave, you know, where we want to just do things that we like to do, you know, watch, watch movies or, you know, do stuff that we enjoy. But you always hear about the men, and I think that's just kind of part of society, about them getting their time away from the families, and you rarely hear it about the women. And I think as a, as a result, a lot of women have thought that they don't really deserve this. And if they're taking this time, they should feel super guilty about it. And that is absolutely wrong. Um, How about when you, in your own experiences, like in your own family, because you have two, and they're two boys, two little toddlers. Two boys, yes. (laughs) Two boys. I I raised three boys, so I I get the, you know, I understand, you know, what you have to do. But, okay, so two toddlers, uh, a busy husband, what happens Mm -hmm. when you take this time out? I mean, do you have help? How do you organize that? Is it your husband who takes care of the kids? What's the practical you know, what the practical stuff that you have to do in order to take this time out to be with the girls, to do what you like to do? So the first thing is scheduling ahead of time. That is huge. Um, I usually plan it. Two things, if I'm taking like a day off for myself, it's when my husband's at work and my, like tomorrow, and my two kids are, um, you know, in, in school or in, in daycare. So that is a time that, you know, they're already doing something during the day and it's just me for a full work day just to myself. And if it's a girls' night, I like to, um, I usually plan it ahead of time and my husband takes care of the kids. And we do that kind of equally. So if he, if I do a girls' night, like I say I want one or two girls' nights a month, he does the same. Where he'll go out with his friends and they'll, you know, go watch football or whatever things they do for their guys' nights. Um, and we try to kind of make it equal so we both get that breather. And what we notice is that when we come back, we feel more refreshed and we're like, okay, let's go. Because you know you need energy for two two toddlers, um, but we feel refreshed, and, and it really helps when we, we kind of cover each other's faces when we need the time away, and it's working really so well. So what happens if that doesn't happen? Okay, it feels, it, when you do do it, and as you say, you have to schedule ahead of time, both of you have to agree, you have to be compatible with your partner, obviously, but what happens when you don't do that? What, what I mean, because there are really negative consequences yeah, to not being able to take that time out. Yeah, what ends up happening um, is that you you really can get some, you can get resentful um, just of your role as mom and, and, and wife, but also you can just I talk about getting the sad, snappy, and sleepless. Just like when you have these things happening, you just it can affect your mood. You can feel more anxious. You can start feeling really burnt out and exhausted. And when I say exhausted, I don't just mean physically exhausted. I mean mentally exhausted, too, just like, just that feeling. And I've had this feeling, so I, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience, but just feeling like, oh, my gosh. Uh, just waking up in the morning is taking a lot out of me. And as a result, you might have problems concentrating. And, you know, it might affect how you're, you're doing at work and how you're interacting with your husband and your kids. So that's the main reason why I say it's just so necessary to do this, because if you don't, you will burn out. Um, like, and I talk about refueling your tank. Is the the, re, the fuel is the self care because if you're going on empty, sooner or later you're, you, your car is going to stop running. The engine is going to stop running, and you're going to burn out. And 
you know, really bad things can happen just in terms of your mood and, and sometimes even just the physical stress of it. Um, you know, when you're under more stress and not taking time for yourself, you're just more likely to have more medical problems. So this is good not only for the, the mind, but really for the body, too. Your book is very specific in terms of how to weave these habits of self-care or how we can do that as women into our daily, weekly, monthly routines. Can we take that kind of step-by-step as you describe it in the book? I like it, yes. I'm all about step-by-step. I'm a very, (laughs) I I think writing things out and planning ahead of time, it's just been very successful for me, so I always recommend it. Um, just to, because sometimes people are like, well, I don't know what to do. I said, well, okay, let's write it out. Let's make a list. Let's talk about what you want to do and then go from there. Because even since this book has been out and women have read it, they said, you know, I really haven't taken time off for myself. I realized it. And I said, okay, well, let's start off with what do you like to do? Um, how often do you want to have a girl that you want to go for once a month? That's fine. And we talk about when they can incorporate, that, incorporate it into their schedules. And it really, it really makes a huge difference. What about their partners, their spouses? What's usually the reaction? Because if these are women who haven't been doing that and they've been taking on all the responsibilities themselves, let's say, caring for the children, sometimes even caring for a, an elderly parent and caring for their... Yeah. What? Yeah. I think, you know, I think just really communicating it with your spouse and, and just kind of coming at from the angle that I need this. I need this. I think this will help me. I think this will make me not only it will not it'll make me not only a better mom and a better spouse, but it's better for me psychologically. I think just coming, just being honest and just saying, you know, I really need this, and this is what it'll be. And that's it. the good thing about kind of making a list, just setting it out. And can you support me with this? And especially when talking to a spouse, saying, you know, and I think we both should do it if they're not doing it either. Saying we both should do this at least once a month. And I think it'll help us and it'll kind of improve our psyche and even improve the strength of the marriage. I, I, I just see positives coming out of it. So we find that the marriage gets strengthened as well. The whole family relationship, as you're describing it in the book, is strengthened. The yeah. children, you, yeah, and, and the relationship itself. So there's good stuff that comes out of it and it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy once you begin to do that um, and and get in the habit of once a month doesn't seem like enough time for me but yeah um, yeah. I do twice a month (laughs) twice a month (laughs) Uh, how about four times once a week no Oh, once a week. So this is just for girls' night. For the once a week, I think doing something for self-care once a week, is, is per, that's what I recommend. I was just talking about the girls' night with it once or twice yeah. a month. But something that you do for yourself once a week is what I recommend. Um, you know, and just pick an activity. Like some people like it's either getting their nails done or, um, you know, just anything that's like going to a yoga class, getting a massage, something that you can do that you know that kind of helps you to, to um, unplug from all the stresses that are going on and devoting time to that once a week has can, it can make a huge difference. What about the women who say to you, you know, doctor, I, I don't know what I like. I've been married for 10 years. I have two kids. Uh, I've never really done this before. I've never been someone who, who engages in self-care and I don't do that. And I don't even, and I, as I, and, and many women as a social worker that I've talked to, they don't even, they haven't developed any interests or any interests that they had 10 years ago, let's say, they don't have anymore. So they have to really kind of, do they have to start all over again and re-examine themselves? Who, yeah. Exactly, re-examine. You know, usually when they say that to me, I said, okay, well, before you were married, before you had kids, 
what did you like to do? What would you do on a Saturday when you were just, before you had any of the family obligations, what were you doing? Because sometimes they can pop up like that. They're like, well, um, you know, I'd go out for lunch with friends or I would, you know, go get my nails done or I'd go do, you know, something relaxing. And usually they can find it by, by us kind of reexamining what they were like prior to having a family. Another thing is just talking to them about, um, you know, if they were on vacation, what are some of the things that you do on vacation that you don't do when you're home? Like, some people are more likely to read novels when they're on vacation. Okay, let's set a time for you to sit someplace quiet and read. If that's something that you enjoy, you know, really try to incorporate that into your weekly routine. So, you sort of take them back to where they were perhaps before, yeah, before yeah. they had the children, before they were married, or before they were involved in the relationship, and, 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 and guide them through it. Um, what and, was the most difficult case yeah. that they don't, they still can't find anything, then I might give suggestions um, of different things that they can do. Um, just kind of when I talk to the person, talk to them about like what are they doing now and, you know, coming up with suggestions of things that might be considered relaxing activities. I'd, I'd probably do that. But usually when we go back in time, uh, they can figure it out. What about you? What, what, what sort of holds you back? Let's say, you know, you say once a month out with the girls and then maybe once a week doing something else that ha- involves self-care. But where do you get stuck? I mean, because you are so busy. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I keep mm-hmm. getting back to that. I, I really I can't help but do that because here you are, and I'll repeat it again. I mean, you're a psychiatrist, you're teaching, you're a professor, uh, two toddlers, two boys, uh, plus a husband. So you must get stuck sometimes. And when you do get stuck and you find yourself not doing, you know, practicing perhaps what you preach or what you wrote in the book, The Modern Trophy Wife, what do you do? How do you get out of it? How do you get out of that abyss? I take a day off. That's what I did this week. I actually decided on Monday I was taking Thursday off. Yeah. Um, when I realize it, and I can normally tell, it's kind of just this level of self-awareness when I'm just like, oh, I just feel tired. And I can notice because my motivation goes down. And um, just having, and I kind of fall behind on certain things that I wanted to get done. I'm just not as efficient. Those are ways that I can tell that I need some time off. And when I do that, um, you know, I just take that day off. And it, I always notice that I just come back refreshed. Uh, you know, another thing, people are just so reluctant to take days off. Um, and I'm saying, of course, if you have the luxury of having, you know, paid time off or the luxury of being able to take time off, use it. Use it because it's just so much for us to be working so many hours and not able to, not able to um, really take the rest when we need it. And another thing that I do is that I say no when I can't do something or I don't want to do something. I try not to over-obligate myself uh, because that is, I've done that in the past, and from trial and error, I've learned that that just led to me being cranky (laughs) and exhausted. So I really try to really say yes to things that I want to do and I can do. And that has made a huge difference um, also in just kind of my lifestyle and, and being able to balance all the things that I want to do. Well, just say no, I think, is particularly difficult for women. Somehow there's something, women feel that they have to say yes, that they, which goes along, obviously, with your book, yes mm-hmm. to everything, cause proving to themselves that they can accomplish everything, and, and, and you can't. But we don't seem to be able to say no. To me, it would seem that's, that's like a, a really a, a huge area what, in terms of what women have to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? What, what in your background allowed you to have so much insight? I mean, obviously, professionally, 
academically, your education, intellect, all of that. But what in your own family background, or is was there anything that sort um, of... You know, actually, my parents practiced this, too, and I think that was a big part of it. Um, my, my mother also is, you know, she was balancing career and motherhood, and she was very into her self-care. Like, she plays tennis, she takes vacations, she reads books. So I grew up watching this, and I think she was a model for me in terms of watching her, because it was two girls, same thing, like two children, and watching her being able to balance her career and being able to balance that with taking care of herself. I remember, like, I remember it so well. Like, every Wednesday, she was like, okay, doesn't matter what's going on, I'm, I'm going to play tennis every Wednesday. And that was something that I remember so well in my childhood. And I remember it made her so happy. And when she would feel kind of exhausted and she'd come back from doing stuff that she enjoyed, I just remember her being a happier mom. And it just made us even, you know, it made the household even happier. So I, I, that's something that I think I watched as I was growing up. And my dad is also a physician, and he was very into, you know, balancing things that he needs to do. Um, he's also very athletic and, and jogging, and he was all about taking vacations and taking time off when it was needed. Um, work was something that was something that they did, but their work did not define them. And family and taking time for themselves and doing things that they enjoyed was also very high on the priority list. And I think... As I kind of went into my career and I finished school, I tried to model from what I saw them do. Well, that's a good example then, because it mm-hmm. would seem to me when you're counseling other women that one of the positives that will come out of it if they're role models for their own daughters, because that's exactly what happened to you. I mean, right. and we that, talk about that. that. You set an example. Your kids pick up on you know what you're doing at home. And and if you don't, and you're harassed, and you're angry all the time, and you're racing and running, I used to say when I was in a bad way, I'm racing and running, not a good example for the kids. Not a good um, example at all. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, and I think with my childhood, I remember, you know, my our household was being filled with a lot of laughter, and, you know, my mom promoting us, doing a lot of things and activities and sports, and, and I think it's because she took such good care of herself, and that got reflected in how, in parenting as well. You know, one of the other things has to do with finances. Now, you described your family. Your dad was a physician, mm-hmm. um, so I make certain assumptions about that. But what right. about women who say, you know, well, I really don't have enough money to do that. I can't take time off. It's not possible. You know, you're saying right. get your nails done. I can't get my nail. I can't afford to get my right. nails done. I can't afford to play tennis. So where this isn't going to work for me. Right, you know, and I and I definitely have had patients who said that to me. Like, listen, you know, some of these luxuries, like getting a massage is not cheap. You know, trying to do that on a weekly basis. And that's fine. I really want you to look for something. It doesn't. It's not about the cost. It's something that relaxes you. Um, I know I've had, I'm using examples from some of my patients, where them just going to the park and bringing a book with them on a nice day, doing that once a week, where that's, you know, no cost at all, where you're just being in the park and being by yourself, um, kind of just being still and that's one of the things I say in the book is don't underestimate the power of being still that can be very um, it can be very refreshing and really help you to to really just get away from it all and really be able to return feeling rejuvenated Um, so I don't want cost to be something that that stops you or don't look at cost as a barrier but if if you can't afford to do some of these um, sports that may cost a lot of money think about things that may be even 
like some things are even free. I know there's free yoga classes, free things. You might have to do a little bit more research in terms of your community, but there's definitely things that you can find that don't have a cost. So don't let not having money stop you from self-care is basically what I'm saying. But what about this? As you say, you don't have to be necessarily involved in activity. You can be still. I think you we have to keep repeating still. that all. Yeah, be still, be still. What about, can I'm one be still in that? I might completely still. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you that, be like, still in your... Can, can you be still in your own house and have everybody leave? Let's say yeah. your spouse or your husband yeah. or wife uh, leaves with the children and you can be still in your own environment. Is that possible? Is that something you recommend? That is very possible. As a matter of fact, on some days when I was feeling overwhelmed or I needed, I wasn't able to get to one of the activities I want, my husband would just take the kids to the park. And he would do that. Okay, they would be gone for about a couple of hours. And you know what? When they got back home, I was good to go. I was good. And I would literally just sit in silence. Like, usually I'd sit in silence or I'd read. But just the quiet, it was just so therapeutic for me. And so just the power of being still, it's, 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 it's pretty intense. Don't, don't um, kind of underestimate how much it can do. I think another thing, one of the, you say be still, this is sort of in between being still and doing an activity, but going to a play or a movie by yourself is also, you don't have to talk to somebody else or make comments. You no. just go by yourself and sort of, you know, get involved in, in, in the show. And, and that always works as well or works for me. I love it. I love it. I might, I might do that tomorrow also. Like I do it <laughs> once every one to two weeks. That's how much I love doing it. I can only, I can see most movies alone except scary movies. That's the only ones that, you know, I need company. But, um, yeah, usually it's just kind of like, and you're, you're kind of, you're away from the world. You're just completely engrossed in the story that's on the screen. I love it. But I'm biased. Well, I'm very biased because I love the movies so much. So I try not to. Like, tell everybody to go to the movies because they might not love it as much as I do. But, um, you know, just going by yourself and kind of just being fully in that environment and getting into the stories, that's great, too. And relax. And we have to say goodbye. So one, another way, perhaps, of relaxing by yourself is reading The Modern Trophy Wife. So yes. uh, Dr. Dion Metzger, MD, she's the author of The Modern Trophy Wife, How to Achieve Your Life Goals While Thriving at Home, a great book. And we can go to your website, The Modern Trophy Wife. Dot com, more information about the book and, and, and more information about you. Yes, and the book is available in paperback, hardcover, as well as on Kindle. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great to have you. Great talking to Thank you. you. I'm going to go relax. <laughs> okay, yeah, go thanks, relax. doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.